I recently discovered that there are houses for sale in Italy that can be purchased for just one euro. That's right, a house in Italy for just one euro. And I checked yesterday the currency just to make sure it's as good a deal as I thought. Currently, the exchange for one euro to U.S. dollars is one dollar and 19 cents. So that's right, you can buy a house in Italy for one dollar and 19 cents. But there's a couple catches. Uh, the first catch is that most of these houses have existed for centuries, and they're in ruins. They, they are dilapidated. They have, they have fallen down, and so cities are selling them cheap so that someone will come fix them, which is the second catch. When you buy your house, you immediately have to make a deposit, which is your commitment that you will begin the work of renovation. And probably doing renovation on a house in Italy, if you live in Orlando, Florida, is not the most convenient thing to do. So I won't be buying uh, an Italian villa for one euro anytime soon. But I love the idea of it. In fact, I love the idea of renovating old houses or, or fixing it up an old antique or or rehabbing an old car or an old motorcycle. I love the idea of it. In fact, when I watch TV, those are the TV shows I watch more than any other. And what I especially love is when someone, some craftsman, some mechanic, someone with skills and knowledge and know-how uh, takes something old and dilapidated and, and honors the past but then adds all of the new conveniences of the modern, like in this old house, or when they take old cars and, and make them new. I just love that. I wish I could do it, but I can't. I'm surrounded by tools today that I probably could figure out how to turn on, and that would be about the end of it. Every time I attempt to, to fix my motorcycle or to fix something at the parsonage, I quickly realize that I either don't have the tool I don't have the supplies, or I don't have the know-how. And so I end up making a bigger mess than I started with. But I'm enamored with that idea of renewing, recreating, refurbishing something that once was grand, something that once was useful, something that once was valuable, but through the years has perhaps broken down, needs repair, just needs attention and making it into something new. To me, there is something deeply spiritual about that. Now, you might be wondering, uh, what on earth buying a house in Italy for one euro uh, or fixing up an old motorcycle has to do with our series, This Is My Story? Well, today's sermon is about rebuilding broken down walls. It's, it's a story about construction, and it's important for our story and it does involve the actual rebuilding of walls. But it also has deeper spiritual significance. The rebuilding of God's people. The work God was doing at this point in history to recreate the people of Israel in Jerusalem, that sacred place that was the home of God's temple. Now, let's do a, a quick recap. About a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, David was the king of Israel. 
He was the one that really established Israel as a nation. He established secure boundaries. He established the the prestige of Israel amongst the other nations. And he chose Jerusalem to be the capital. And that's where one day the temple would be. King David was followed by King Solomon, who added to the construction of Jerusalem. He built the temple. Uh, He built the palaces. Through the years, walls were built to surround and protect Jerusalem from, from foreign invaders. It was during this point in history that Israel became truly one of the greatest nations on the earth. But that didn't exactly last. King Solomon was followed by kings that that weren't faithful to God. And about 250 years later, the, the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom as they call it, was destroyed by the invading invading Assyrians who came in and destroyed everything and then then took many of the Jews away to foreign lands as slaves. That left the lower kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem for about another 130 years. And then another great nation came into power and came threatening the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. They surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They laid siege, is what we call it. And eventually, in 587 B.C., 587 years before Jesus, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And when I say destroyed, they tore it to the ground. The walls came crashing down. The temple, the palaces were utterly destroyed. And what remained of God's people were also taken away to foreign lands as slaves. It was the destruction of a a special city. Sometimes in the Bible it's called Zion, the city of God. It was the destruction of walls and temple and palaces, but also was the destruction of God's people. The breaking down of God's chosen people now into a life of slavery. I want you to try to capture that image, that where once strong walls had stood, where a grand palace had stood, where a a holy temple had stood, now were just piles of rubble, charred from fire. Maybe the image that would connect with you would be, try to remember what it looked like following 9-11 at the World Trade Center, the rubble, the smoke. The, the, the black scars on the, on the metal and on the stone. Or maybe you've seen scenes of war, uh, the aftermath in Iraq or in Syria, or the, the, bomb, the explosion that recently happened in Damascus. Or maybe you saw scenes uh, this summer of the 42 million acres that were burned by this summer's fires, or or the northern Gulf Coast after numerous hurricanes just destroyed so much of that coastline. That gives you a little bit of the image of what Jerusalem was like after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Now last Sunday, Pastor Emily told us about a period in Israel's history called the exile. This is the time that the the Jews had been dispersed. We call it the diaspora. They had been dispersed into foreign nations. And this was a particularly bad time 
for God's people. They were slaves. They'd been separated from home, from career, from, from life, from culture, from religion. They wondered if they were separated from their God. Had God abandoned them? They wondered if they had a future and what that future could be. I have to imagine they ask questions like, like, do we have a future or is this as good as it gets? Can the wounds we've been inflicted be healed? Have we blown it with God forever? Has God abandoned us? Is there any reason for hope? I wonder if you've ever had an experience in your life where you've asked questions like that. Have I blown it for good? Is there any hope? Now we know that, that after about 70 years, that, that's how long the exile lasted, about 70 years, some of the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the city. And that includes the temple, and it includes many of the homes, and it especially included the walls. In ancient times, walls around cities were especially important. And so you'll see in the Bible two books that we don't talk about an awful lot, the book of Ezra and the book of, ne book of Nehemiah. Ezra is the story of the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of the walls. They, they just tell the construction project, who did the building and what the process was and, and how it was completed. But the truth is that these stories in Ezra and Nehemiah are really more than just physical construction stories. They're really about the rebuilding of God's people. As they rebuilt the walls, they were also rebuilding their identity as God's chosen people. As they were rebuilding the wall, they were reestablishing their sense of, of worth and value as God's chosen. As they worked together to reconstruct the walls, they were becoming a community again. And as the wall would rise, as they began to feel good about what they were doing, as they began to see Jerusalem come back together as God's city, they realized that God had not abandoned them. They were renewing their relationship with God. I mean, isn't this what God does? I mean, throughout Scripture, isn't this what God does? God takes what we break, and God fixes it. God takes what we tear down, and God builds it back up. I mean, this is the message of the cross, something evil and destructive that God uses as the vehicle toward resurrection and new beginning and new life. These are essentially spiritual ideas that God can restore, that God can renovate, that God can rebuild, that God can recreate. Remember what Jesus says in the book of Revelation? Behold, I make all things new. Ezra and Nehemiah aren't just about building buildings and walls. They're about God making all things new. The author Rob Bell says, the world is fractured, broken, Parts are lying scattered all over the place. And it brings God pleasure to bring it all back together in unity. And so thinking about these two books of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, you see this, 
this affirmation that God was making something possible. Ezra 9.9, talking about the temple, says, even though we are slaves, our God hasn't abandoned us into our slavery. Instead, he's shown us his graciousness before Persia's kings by reviving us to set up our God's house, to repair its ruins, to give us a wall in Judea and Jerusalem. Did you hear the phrases? Reviving us to set up God's house, to repair its ruins. They were there to do construction, to pick up tools and and to lay block. But they felt that God was reviving the people. Something similar in Nehemiah, where they're talking about the wall, chapter 6, 15 through 16. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. It took 52 days When our enemies heard about this, all the nations around us were afraid, and their confidence was greatly shaken. They knew that this work was completed with the help of God. I mean, they were the ones that picked up the stones and the chisels. They're the ones that mixed the mortar. But the enemies knew that these walls standing strong, that was a work of Israel's God. Love that phrase. This work was completed with the help of our God. And the truth is, all good work is. Anything we accomplish in this life is work that is completed with the help of God. Isn't it God who said in Psalm 127, unless it is the Lord who builds the house, the builder's work is pointless. So what does it take to rebuild an ancient city from ruin. Well, we know it takes brick, right? It takes mortar, it takes stone and and, and timber. It takes labor. But in our story, it also takes the blessing of God. I think the word that, that most comes to mind as I read these stories is the word sacrifice. The people sacrificed to make these buildings come to life, to resurrect this city. Of course, God gave God's blessing. They they couldn't have done it without God's help. But it took a communal sacrifice of God's people for it to happen. After all, God didn't just snap God's fingers and the walls appeared. It was the people's sweat and effort and sore muscles and talents that put those walls back in place. And if you read through Nehemiah, what you discover is that it involved everybody. Some, of course, were were skilled at that sort of thing, but others not. All of the people did the work. It mentions goldsmiths. It mentioned the perfumers out there cutting stone and and laying it into the wall. It included farmers and shepherds, fathers and sons. It even mentions daughters. The priests got involved in the building of the wall. Some who were formerly sons and daughters of royalty rolled up their sleeves and participated in the building of the wall. Servants got involved working side by side with former princes and princesses. Merchants got involved in building the wall. It was everybody. Everybody did their part. In fact, Nehemiah 4.16 says, the whole house of Judah was building the wall. 
course, they ran into obstacles. Anytime you, you tackle a, a difficult project, you're going to run into obstacles. If you've ever tried to repair your car, or if you've ever tried to repair something at home, I'm sure you ran into an obstacle. You, you went to Home Depot, you went to Ace, you thought you got everything you need, you discover you, you don't. You got to go back. The project's harder, messier than you thought. It happens every time. And as the, the work becomes more difficult, irritation sets in. And as irritation sets in, patience tends to evaporate. Well, that happened in Jerusalem as well. The people started wearing thin under the pressure of the project. And then there were the enemies. Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies who didn't like the idea of the rebuilding of the city. The enemies started criticizing. The enemies started threatening. The enemies started demeaning the project. But the people kept building. One of my favorite parts of the story is that even as they built, they held tools in one hand and they carried weapons in the other and a sword at their belt just in case while they're building the wall with urgency, they might be attacked. One of the major obstacles we face sometimes when we work on a project together of great magnitude is the internal squabbles that sometimes, we sometimes disagree with each other. We get different ideas about how something should be done. When the threat is on the outside, it tends to unite us. We come together to face that, that outside enemy, but sometimes the internal squabbles divide us distract us. All, all of that comes to play in the book of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was the leader. He kept the people on track. He kept telling them the vision. He worked through the issues, and they got the building done. I want to remind you again, this was more than just a challenging building project. This was about building the people. This was a new beginning for God's people who had been slaves, who'd gone through a terrible time of suffering. It was a rebuilding of community, a rebuilding of identity. It was an opportunity for them to imagine a future that maybe they had given up hope on. It was a time to renew their relationship with God. It was a time to grow in spiritual confidence that God was with them and that God would be with them. I just, I just imagine that each and every time a block was set in place and then another on top of it, a sense that everything was going to be okay. That progress led them closer and closer to an awareness that they truly were still God's people. Every block was a step in the right direction. I wonder if that's a metaphor that might apply for us today. Undeniably, 2020 has been a year of wreckage. The pandemic has wrecked a lot, a lot of our plans, some of our careers, some of our hopes and dreams. The, the forest fires out west wrecked thousands upon thousands of acres and and countless buildings and homes and even churches, same on the, the North Gulf Coast, wreckage, wreckage. The protest earlier this summer, protesting the, the 
unfair, unjust deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, sometimes were destructive. Sometimes protests become destructive. But in some ways, they were just a reflection of the violence that's been done to innocent people for far too long. It's been a destructive year. This election that we've been going through has been a destructive season, causing people to question, can we, can we count on our leaders? Can we trust our government? Can we believe what we're told? Can we trust the media? Friends, I, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of 2020. I don't know what 2021 might bring, but I know at some point we've got rebuilding to do that we can't keep going the way we're going, that we're going to need to reconstruct things in our society, in our homes, in our personal lives. I mean, some of you in your homes have had a destructive year, loss of job, struggling with helping your kids get through school in in a terribly different way. Some of you struggling with loneliness and depression, being cut off from people you love, maybe even issues of addiction, separation from so much in our world. Some of you maybe have lost loved ones and are grieving. Families have been strained. And I wonder if some of us maybe have even questioned our faith. We've got some rebuilding to do. And among all of the places that have been impacted by the events of this year, and particularly the pandemic, includes the church. The church has been impacted. We and what it means to be church together has been impacted by this virus. There there is a growing disconnect. I feel it. Even though we try to keep people connected on online worship and Zoom and social distancing, I feel the distance that I know you feel as well. I feel the disconnect. I know that what we do online just isn't the same as when we can be together and worship God and fellowship together. We've got some rebuilding to do. In the days to come, whenever the opportunity presents itself, we got to do some work. We're going to have to rebuild our programs. We're going to have to imagine a new future. We're going to have to develop some new habits here at church. And just like in the building of the wall and the temple, it's going to take all of us. It's going to mean coming together. It's going to mean overcoming disagreements. It's going to mean sharing a vision. It's going to mean committing our resources and sacrificing, overcoming together. Now, I want you to hear me. I I wouldn't... I wouldn't repeat this year for anything. If I could go back and change any number of things this year, I would. I I wish we had never heard of COVID-19. But friends, the work before us, we are uniquely qualified to do. Because rebuilding, a fresh start, a new beginning... Restoration is essentially spiritual work that we're qualified for. I mean, after all, our story is ultimately about creation, birth, life, death, and resurrection, right? It's in our 
spiritual DNA. If there's rebuilding to be done in our world, in our society, in our community, in our homes, in our church, who better than us, with God's help, to do it? Howard Thurman once said, to move with reverence through all of life, always seeking and finding, always building and rebuilding, always repenting and always rejoicing, this is what it means to walk with God. I don't know about you, but there's something in me that just is desperate for 2021 to get here. It's just weeks away, if you can believe it. But friends, we, we don't know what 2021 has to bring. We still have some election to sort out. Uh, there's good news about a vaccine, but it, but it won't be available to most of us for, for months. We, we don't know what's going to happen with the, the economy. We don't know what else the world is going to throw at us. But I do know this. There is a day coming, and I don't think it's too far away, when you and I are going to be called to work together to do some rebuilding and reconstructing. And we can do it. We have the master carpenter. We have the great creator on our side who will bless that work, who will resource that work if we're willing to roll up our sleeves and do the work to build a better future, to build a new tomorrow. I think that's the meaning of this story. It's not just about the building of a temple. It's not just about the building of walls. It's not just something that happened a couple thousand years ago. It's a metaphor for us. When things get broken down, they can be rebuilt with God's help. That is what God does. He does it in nations. He does it in families. He does it in churches. And he does it with people like you and me. So I leave you with this quote by one of my favorite writers, Lawrence Freeman. He says, faith is not the dream, but the felt conviction that things will eventually work out for the best. Without denying the reality of evil or innocent suffering, faith knows that the broken can be repaired. The meaningless can be understood. The wounded can be healed. And even that what is dead in us can be raised to new life. Faith knows that despite all signs to the contrary, and there are many, life has constructive meaning and beneficial purpose. The mystery of life is that even in its tragedies and setbacks, its disappointments and failures can serve to awaken and deepen faith. Friends, can we dare to believe that when this difficult season is over, that you and I will have deepened faith and a commitment to build a better tomorrow with God's help?